happy Friday evening. Happy Sabbath for the people that um, keep Friday night to Saturday. I find Friday night to be very relaxing because it's just the end of the week has come and I don't want the Friday night to be over, but it is. And um, can't stay up too late on Friday nights, but but it's a, it's a great time to relax because the week has come to an end. I hope everyone had a nice week. I, I had a hard week. It just seemed that I just did everything kind of wrong and just trying to get a reset tonight. This is the Tomorrow Christian Today, tackling Genesis 29. I know that I'm loved by God, but sometimes when you have a hard week, it just seems that that kind of, you know, what? how, how can I say it, that sort of colors your perception of yourself. And I guess you have to go to God by faith and say, Lord, I know I'm loved. I know I'm still valuable. I just don't feel very useful. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word, every bit of your word. Even what we're going to read tonight, which seems to be narrative, is from you, Lord. It's your um, take on the human history, Lord. You know, men wrote it, but you also breathed it through men to write it. I thank you for it, and we know it's true. So help us as we study your word, uh, Lord. Give us any pearls of wisdom. Open our eyes, open our minds, help our hearts to be soft toward you. Help us to have a, a relationship with you, Lord, not just a cold, clinical, antiseptic religion, but something powerful, integrative, Lord. We are going to see you one of these days. We're going to live with you forever. I thank you, Lord, for being a real God, a kind God, a God that walks with us, a savior God, a building up God and not a destroying God and a loving God and a forgiving God and a merciful God. This is my prayer tonight. Amen. It says here that Jacob arrives at Paddan Aram. Jacob hurried on, finally arriving in the land of the east. He saw a well in the distance. Here we go with the wells again. The beginning of strife is when one lets out water, so therefore leave off contention before it be meddled with. Aha! See, that's, uh, that's um, Proverbs 17, 11, I believe. And it's talking about water. So again, we're seeing wells, but wells contain water. And Jesus said, I'm the living water. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of water in the Bible. Three flocks of sheep and goats lay in an open field beside it, waiting to be watered, but a heavy stone covered the mouth of the well. Isn't that strange? A heavy stone covered the mouth of the well. Jesus came out of a hole in the mountain that was a hole in the mountain and it was covered by a heavy stone. I wonder if that's a coincidence. It's strange, as if to say that only Jesus could move a stone to give us the water from the well, which is himself, the living water. I'm just, it just occurred to me, I can't say if that's, remember, I've heard people say, don't allegorize everything in the Bible. But you know, you have to read the Bible for yourself. And the Lord is going to put ideas into your head. You're going to notice things that other people are not going to notice. Because God has made the Bible to shine through you in a certain way. Some part of it you will notice and other parts you won't notice it or you won't see it that way. It was the custom there to wait for all the flocks to arrive before removing the stone and watering the animals. Afterward, the stone be placed back over the mouth of the well. Jacob went over to the shepherds and asked, Where are you from, my friends? We are from Haran, they answered. 
Do you know a man there named Laban, the grandson of Nahor, he asked. Yes, we do, they replied. Is he doing well, Jacob asked. Yeah, yes, he's very well, they answered. Look, here comes his daughter Rachel with the flock now. So Laban is his mother's brother. So here comes Rachel. Jacob said, look, it's still broad daylight. Too early to round up the animals. Why don't you water the wa sheep and goats so they can get back to pasture? They say in verse 8, we can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived. They reply, then the shepherds move the stone from the mouth of the well and we water all the sheep and goats. Wow, the shepherds moved the stone and the great stone that was covered the well, uh, covered the hole, the tomb that Jesus was born in was moved by the greatest power of all, which is Jesus Christ, which who is a shepherd, the ultimate shepherd in John 10. Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived with her father's flock for she was a shepherd. Oh, that's interesting. And because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother. So the, so the Bible kind of says it here. You know, because sometimes you're, lo you're looking at all these people and they're kind of related to each other, but you're kind of trying to work it out. But it says that's his cousin. Now, this is the NLT. So maybe the King James, I don't know what the King James says, but the NLT says it was his cousin. I wonder what, I wonder out of curiosity what the ESV says. So I have to look at it, even though I wasn't planning to. So let me do that now. Some of these pages in the ESV. This is John MacArthur's, um, well, this is the Bible with John MacArthur's notes in there. And if I can just find it. And of course, it's so hard because some of these pages are stuck together. So Jacob, uh, sorry, Genesis 29. And it says in verse 9, uh, Okay, it says here, so it doesn't really say in the ESV, it says while he was still, so the ESV says while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. That's all it says in the ESV. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and water the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So it says his mother's brother in the ESV, but I guess the NLT people said, we'll just, we'll say cousin just to make it really, really clear. So Jacob is the one who moves, who went over to the well and he moves the stone. So isn't that something that he is the ancestor of Jesus? And he goes and moves the stone from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's flock. So are we, are we the flock? Are we the flock of Jesus? Are we the are, are we the sheep of Jesus? Those who love Jesus and and are Christians, we're following Jesus. We're following the Master, and He is the one who is watering us. He is the one who has moved the stone and turned death into a fighting chance for life. Because Friday He was dying, Saturday He was dead, and on but Sunday came, and our King is alive. We serve a risen Savior. We serve not just a historical figure, but someone who is alive at the right hand of God right now. As I'm speaking, he has been alive for 2000 years and he, he came to life on Sunday and he has never died. Jesus has seen all of history. He's seen everything that happened to the earth after he left. He has given that prophecy to John in Revelation. Um, Jesus has seen what has happened to all of his followers, how they have been suffered and how they have been persecuted. He saw his own apostles being killed. 
you know, it says in the Bible, precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. Jesus has seen it all from heaven and the Father has watched it all from heaven too. And I don't think they're happy and rejoicing knowing that their people are being cut down. But we do know that God says that he will bring all the evil to an end one day. And that day is coming in Revelation 1 verse 7. That day is coming in Revelation 19 verse 11. And nothing and no one is going to stop it. And the Antichrist, I think, will come sooner. The Antichrist is going to come and he's going to talk like Jesus, walk like Jesus, quack like Jesus, um, try to rule the world like, like Jesus, but it won't be Jesus. I believe he will rule from Jerusalem. That's my speculation, but he'll also put his tentacles, his fingers across the whole world and bamboozle people into some kind of political, uh, religious um, power, um, you know, church and state unification. That's my belief. I know it sounds a little conspiracy theory, but like I said, I don't really know if it'll happen soon in my lifetime or if it'll happen 500 years from now. I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later because we're getting closer and closer to the day of the Lord. He explained to Rachel that he was her father's cousin. He was her cousin on the father's side, the son of her aunt Rebecca. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban. So Rachel goes back. As soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced him, kissed him and took him home. When Jacob had told him his story, Laban exclaimed, you are my own flesh and blood. So it says here now, um, after Jacob stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban says to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. So Laban seems very cordial to him, very nice, very transparent. Uh, Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah and the younger one was named Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. And Jacob was in love with Rachel. He told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed. So he's very agreeable to this. I'd rather give her to you than anybody else. Stay and work with me. So Rachel, so Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. But his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. So seven years. Wow, he worked for seven years just so he could marry her. Isn't that like... Is this for real? Like, is this really seven years? But it says here, he worked seven years. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. So seven years later, he's going to get married and he's pretty excited. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can marry her. Laban invites everybody in verse 22, prepares a wedding feast. But that night when it's dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he, and he consummated the marriage. Um, Laban had given Leah's servant Zilpah to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob raged at Laban? I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? So isn't this the same guy who tricked his father? What goes around comes around. Cha-ching, like boomerang. You know what I mean? Like if people who are controlled become controllers. People who are abused become abusers. People who are deceivers be are deceived. And, you know, he's very upset because he didn't get the deal that he was promised. 
And I remember a pastor saying that if he gets to heaven or when he gets to heaven, he'd like to walk up to Jacob and say, dude, <laughs> how, how did you get married and you didn't know who you were marrying? Like, how did you, I mean, was it a really good veil over the mouth? Like, what is it? How Were you drunk? How is it that you didn't know what was happening here? So I'm sure that many Christians have that kind of um, answer question. And I really don't know if Jacob would want to answer. Like, don't bother me. I don't want to talk about it. It, it. it happens. You know, stuff happens in the Old Testament. He says that he's been honest and he's been decent and he's fulfilled his part of the bargain. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? Then Laban says, it's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. Oh, now he tells him. He didn't say anything about it before. He was pretty conveniently um, silent, wasn't he? Didn't say a word. Sure, buddy, no problem. I'll give you my younger daughter. Yeah, okay. Didn't say anything. But wait until the bridal week is over. Then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So he gets, you know, he, he gets, a, there's a compromise, there's a trade-off. He gets to marry the girl he loves. Poor Leah, you know, it's like, I mean, you know, women are very intuitive. Like, she's picking up on all of this. You know, you don't have to, like, you can kind of feel that you're not really valued. You kind of feel like, you know, the people you're interested in or are not interested in you. You know, I've... I'm going to admit, you know, I've been that guy, you know, you, you gotta, you're carrying a torch for somebody and they don't feel the same way about you. I guess for me, it just sort of dies, you know, it's like you just, your emotions just, you know, fall head over heels. You see somebody's like, wow, but nothing ever happens. Nothing ever happens. So I guess, you know, I, I guess it gets, the crushes come less and less until finally it doesn't happen anymore. But I wonder, you know, poor Leah, like she kind of knows that, you know, um, Jacob is not really that interested in her. Like it, it's kind of a tough, you know, some people are dealt a harsh deck of cards, you know, and I, I kind of feel sorry for Leah. You know, it says Jacob agreed to work seven more years. So a week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Laban gave Rachel's servant Bilhah to be her maid. So everybody's got a servant, right? So, you know, he's got a wife, but the wife has a servant. So Jacob slept with Rachel. So he, he slept with Rachel too. That's what it says in the LT. He consummated the marriage and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. So he upheld uh, his end of the bargain. Laban uh, upheld his end of the bargain. So now he's got two wives and... You know, he's married to the woman he loves. Jacob's many children. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, so God kind of steps in here. You know, um, God can, God is the defender of the underdog and she's the underdog. She's a person, she's a soul. You know, there are many beautiful people in this world and maybe on the outside, they're not, the world doesn't think they're so beautiful, but they have beautiful characters. Some people are very beautiful on the outside, but they're horrible. They have no personality, they're not nice, they're not friendly, they're indifferent, they're cold, they're impolite. You know, they're beautiful. They know that they can use their looks to wrap people around them. So, you know, 
I guess Lee is the kind of person that, you know, she's not as good looking as Rachel and, you know, she feels that she's not loved, but God loves her. I just felt this week was just a rough week for me. Like I just, nothing I did, I did good. And I just felt like, God, I'm just useless. I'm totally useless. I, you know, I had my pity part. I had my pity party. They say you're not supposed to have a pity party. I had a pity party. I had a self-pity party. I didn't tell anybody about it. I'm just talking into a, I'm just talking to a podcast right now. Nobody has to know. So maybe God allowed me to have a pity party because then I have to give it to God. What are you going to do? Carry it around all the time? Eventually you have to give it to God. Yeah, you may have a pity party. I don't think it's a crime to have a pity party. Everybody has low lows and high highs. Everybody has depressions. Some people are better at hiding it than others. Or some people don't have it for the same period, the same endurance. Everybody has lows. Nobody's on top all the time. But give it to God. Give it to God. Don't let your feelings get in the way of your faith. Don't let your feelings say God doesn't love you because you don't feel it. The devil is more than happy to whisper that in your ear. He lost his salvation. He doesn't want you to have yours. He'd much rather have that you be like him, miserable and miserable for the rest of eternity. He's just a miserable sod and he's going to whisper into your ear that God doesn't really love you and it's all a pipe dream. Don't you believe the lies. Satan is a slanderer and he's going to slander you in your mind that you are not worth, worthy for God and God doesn't really need you and can do better. That's not true and you know it and so do i verse 32 so leah became pregnant oh it says when the lord when the lord saw that leah was unloved he enabled her to have children so he gave her that ability to have children but rachel could not conceive interesting so leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son she named him reuben for she said the lord has noticed my misery and now my husband will love me ah she wants love we all do we all want to connect with God, with other people. We want, to, we want to be with people that we can just sort of let down our guard, let down our defense, say what we need to say with no judgment. You know, the people who don't like you, it doesn't matter what you do for them or what you don't do for them. They'll always find a reason to dislike you and hate you. But the people who like you, they know you have problems. They know you're flawed. But they'll always be your supporters, always. This man in the gym, he's a very nice man. And um, uh, he's Muslim, but he's a, he has his own construction company. He's very, very nice to me. Um, you know, we've got to talking and he said, I have a nice character. He said that to me. I was like, I'm really shocked. And I said, you know, my daughter is kind of talking to me again. I feel really happy about that. And he said to me, she'll come around. She will come around. You have a great character. I was like, wow. As in my mind, I was like, thank you. I appreciate that. I don't know what I said or did. Uh, to, to make him say that, but you know, I've, I've seen him in the gym. We've never worked out together, but we've talked a couple of times. I guess I'm not a great small talker. You know, I say hi to people. I joke around with them. You know, I try not to be too serious, but sometimes, you know, when you're carrying around the world on your shoulders, it, I, then I, I, I was really all business, you know, this week. Just, I, I, I just felt like my face wasn't smiling. I could just feel my face being real tight. But, you know, I was really surprised when he said that to me. It's like, thanks, man. You know, in my head, it's like, thanks, brother. I got your back. You know, I got your back. The Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. 
Uh, verse 33, she soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon, for she said, The Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. You know, she knows that she's connected to God. You know, she knows that God is God has enabled her to have babies, and she she sees that as a gift. She's obviously um, connected to God. You know, she obviously values God, and God has a place in her heart and in her life. You know, sometimes the people you look at, you know, the people that you look at in life that you think are so wonderful or so Christian, maybe they're not, but that person you count down and out, you know, that's the person that is really connected to God because they're really trusting God for everything. You know, they're living on the knife edge and they're trusting God. You know, Jesus said, can any, um, no, it wasn't Jesus. It was one of the apostles uh, or to be apostles in John. We said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, yes, yes, something good did come out of Nazareth. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who is at the right hand of God, who shares the throne of God right now. He was in a little one-horse town called Nazareth. Verse 34, Then she became pregnant the third time and gave birth to another son. She named him Levi, for she said, Surely this time my husband will feel affection for me, since I have given him three sons. Three sons. It's maybe that she she has this hope, this expectation, and it's three sons. And you know, three is always some kind of number of completion, some kind of it's it's you know, three days and three nights. You know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like the the number three is significant in the Bible. You know, all the numbers have a certain significance. But there's there's this feeling of completion. You know, maybe now finally he will um, will feel something. Um, that's what that that's what her hope is. That's what her feeling is, and and that's what she's expecting. Verse thirty-five. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah, for she said, "Now I will praise the Lord." And then she stopped having children. I wonder why the Bible says that so. I wonder why the Bible says that so with, with such with such finality. Is there any notes about this? No, it doesn't, it doesn't really say anything. John MacArthur does have some notes here, so I'll just, read, I'll just read them. He has it for verse 31. He says, There was quite a contrast when the one dearly beloved had no children, which was Rachel, whereas the rejected one did, which was Leah. Jacob might have demoted Leah, but God took action on her behalf. Leah had also prayed about her husband's rejection in verse 33 and had been troubled by it as seen in the names given to her given to her first four sons. So all the names had something to do with her situation. But I like what uh, I like what John MacArthur writes here. I like what the study notes said. It says God took action on her behalf. I like that. I, th I feel that God takes action on my behalf too. I feel that sometimes, you know, I'll say something and I'm, you know, I guess to the world I'm talking to myself, but I'm talking to God and I just feel like God is like, it's okay, I got this. You're fine. You'll be okay. Don't let your feelings control you. It's okay. I just, the thoughts come into my head. Maybe it's me talking to me, but I think it's the Holy Spirit talking to me who's then talking to me. It sounds like my voice. I think God is speaking to me. He says, I got this. Don't you worry. You have faith. 
you go forward. Don't, don't sit there with a pity party too long. Pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus says, take care. I have overcome the world and you will too. You are a Christian. You're part of something bigger than yourself and you're part of something eternal and something that's true and it's a gift and it's an inheritance and it's a purpose and it's a destiny and your destiny is not a hole in the ground forever. Your destiny is not being a resident of a universe that's dying. Death does not get the final word on you because you've given your destiny to God and God is life. That's not a sermon, my friends. That's a hope. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. God bless everyone.